We're going to start in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that he has lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. These are the words, or these are God's words. Thanks so much, Matt. Keep your Bibles right there in Luke chapter 15, and that's where we're going to be together today. Let me go ahead and pray for us, and we will jump into uh, the series that we've been doing called Jesus Community and Mission. So let's go ahead and let me pray for us. Father, more than we know it, You love us. More than we understand it, God, in the deepest parts, You are excited to meet with us today. And and it's not just that uh, You're excited to meet with us because um, you, You want us or need us. It's that You have so much to give to us today. And like a good dad, You look forward to being with us. So I pray that our hearts would be would be encouraged that direction. I pray that you would unpack that and show it to us. I pray that you would also help us to understand that your heart is that there's more in this town. There's many more in this region that you want to come to you. So Father, help us to see and sense and believe your heart together today. We need you to do work in us for us to be able to do that. So we're asking that you would work here, that we would be open vessels for you, Lord, that you would show the beauty of the face of Christ into our lives together today. So help us do what we can't do on our own. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So Luke chapter 15, we're going to look at the entire chapter today. And um, my goal is to try and help us. We've been doing a series that we've called... Jesus, community, and mission, and it's flowing out of the work that we did through the story-formed way. Those were three key elements that rose 
to the top throughout the, the entire passage. So we said Jesus comes first. If you look at, our, at, our, if you look at that, that magic uh, document that Josh was mentioning before, this bulletin, it's a lot cheaper than a Kindle. It's lighter than an iPad, and uh, you, can, you can take it with you wherever you go. But if you look at the very front and the bottom, we've got our mission statement. And just to, again, remind you of what we do, we sit there and say, hey, Jesus comes first. And even in that statement, because of who Jesus is and what he did, the gospel. So it's so critical for us to be constantly Jesus-focused. But the second part of that is community. Because of who, who Jesus is and what he did, the gospel, WBC, Wyndham Baptist Church, is a family. We are called to intentionally move towards each other in relationship. Intentionally, uh, and I know that takes intentionality, to move towards each other, to connect, to stay connected, to work at relationship. The gospel calls us to live in a deeper community. We'll see that together today. But because of who Jesus is, so Jesus, the second part is community. The third, we're a, WBC is a family on Jesus' mission of making disciples. What does that look like? Well, it looks like us being sent by God to serve in our world. And it also looks like people who are continually learning how to walk in His ways. This is a cycle. It's a regular cycle that goes on in our lives. So we've boiled it down here. Well, I guess one of the reasons why I want to mention that is I don't want someone to look up and go, oh, wow, we're doing something new or different. We're not. We're, staying this, we're saying the same things again in a different way, but we need to hear things in a different way as we go through. So Jesus, community, and mission. Now take a look at Luke chapter 15. And I want to just start there, what Matt just read for us. Look down at verse 1, and I want to see if you caught something with me. Verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Let me ask you a question. Why did they come? Because were things really that radically different back when Jesus was alive? People stood around and, and what they loved to do was just hear people preach for hours. I mean, today, most people say, that's not the thing that I'm just dying for, is to, stand, to have the opportunity to sit and listen to preaching for hours. But, but do you think they were really that different back then? Do you really sit there and think they weren't going, man, i got fields I've got to take care of. But, but, but what we hear, what we understand in this passage is, tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. Why did they come? They didn't have to. They chose to. Why? Well, let me simply say this. Jesus embodied the type of comfort that you and I all need. You see, we are all sinners. And all sinners are also sufferers. Why? Sin brings misery into our lives. Sin brings misery. It may bring a short-term joy. It may bring a short-term kind of a solution or happiness for us. But in the long run, hasn't sin brought misery into your life too? As sinners, we suffer. What we need, though, 
What we need is comfort. What we need is relief. What we need is a place where we belong. We don't need judgment. But we need the comfort of gospel, safety, and time. We're going to talk about these the next couple weeks. But gospel, safety, and time. We need lots of good news from God. The gospel. But it's got to come from the Bible. The second thing that we need is we need lots of safety because we're going to have to face what's really going on inside. And the third thing that we're going to need is lots of time to rethink our lives and to get past the barriers that are holding us back. Gospel, safety, and time. And, and, and here's where we're going to go with this. If that's what Jesus was like, if that's why tax collectors and sinners were drawn to Him, and if Jesus was God, that means that it has some authority on our lives together as a body, doesn't it? Because Jesus came and He is the Father. He shows us what God is like. That kind of safety and comfort and time then are the things that need to be spread to other people. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do today. That's why we're looking at this concept of mission. The people in our community, they need lots of Jesus, they need lots of community, and they need, they need safety and they need time as we live out the mission. So let me also point this out, though. Because some of you might be sitting there going, wait a minute, I'm not sure that's true. Let me, let me simply say, Jesus was pretty controversial, wasn't he? Even in this day, Jesus was very controversial. Some people were just drawn to him, but other people were offended by him. Some people thought, oh man, this is so amazing that God would be like this. But other people thought, no. That's not what God is like. That's not what God is thinking. Let me, let me show you right here in the passage. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, the Pharisees and the scribes, what did they say? It says they grumbled. They were complaining. Why? This man receives sinners and he eats with them. So here we have a group of people that are drawn to Jesus and they're, and they're pulled into Him. They're saying, wow, comfort, safety. I, I, I feel safe. I feel loved. I feel like I can find out where I am. I feel like I can admit who I really am with this person. But then you have another group of people who are sitting there saying, no, we represent God and we represent God's mind. Now Jesus also claimed to represent God's mind. The religious leaders thought that they were representing God well to their community by shunning sinners. Jesus thought he represented God by welcoming sinners and comforting them and giving them their dignity back. So let's ask this question. The first real question here is, what is God really like? The second question we're going to ask is, what are we really like? And the third question really is going to be essentially, what should we be like? But let's stick with this first question. What is God really like? The, really, the, the point of this chapter, of Luke chapter 15, is to answer the question, what is God really like? If God shuns sinners, 
what should we do? We should shun them. But if God welcomes sinners, what should we do? We should welcome them as well. Now here at Wyndham Baptist, we know the answer. And I know that we want people in our community, the people that we work with, your neighbors, your friends, your family, I know that you and I want more people to see Jesus for who He really is. To see God for who He really is. And what do we understand? The reason we do that is not to be right. It's because we want them to experience the comfort that we've received in Christ. Amen? So the whole key, the key to this whole chapter is really the contrast between those two words, grumble and rejoice. Now rejoice there, literally the word is used a couple times, and then it's kind of symbolically shown as well. Uh, in these uh, six different sections there, we see different aspects of rejoicing when that goes on. Um, but the chapter is not saying that God is grumbling over sinners. And that's what takes us to this other word, rejoice. It's the opposite of grumbling, isn't it? We see the, re- we see the word rejoice, and we see other centered words 11 times in this chapter starting in verse 5. And when he has found his lost sheep, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And what, what drives Luke 15 is the tension between the grumbling of the Pharisees and the rejoicing of God. All three parables here have a really pretty simple pattern, right? Someone has something. They lose that something. Then when they find it, they rejoice over it. So verse 5. He lays his sheep on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and he says to them, what? Rejoice with me. Verse 9, like Matt just read for us. And when she's found her lost coin, she calls together her friends and neighbors and she says, rejoice with me. The shepherd and the woman, they call their friends to rejoice with them. Why? Isn't that kind of interesting? Because if you're a shepherd, you've got 100 sheep and you come back with 99, and you find the one extra that you lost, doesn't that just mean that you did your job? Doesn't it? If you have 10 coins, and you know you're supposed to have 10 coins, and you lose one of them, and you find it, doesn't that just mean, wow, okay, now I'm back to, back to, e- to even. I did what I was supposed to do. Is that their response? What is the response? Rejoice. How many of you, though, would call up and go, dude, it worked today? I totally lost, like, one of my clients. <laughs> I know we've got, you know, like seven or eight of them in the house, but I lost one of my clients. I, I don't know where they went. Oh, but then I went outside and I found them and I brought them back in. It's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? Isn't it a little embarrassing for this shepherd? Isn't it a little embarrassing for this woman? And yet, what is their reaction? Is it, is it shame? No, because we're learning something about God's heart. And the idea is to show us God's thoughts through this. What is this sense of rejoicing? Is it an internal, yay? Is that the idea? How do you know it's not just that? What's that? 
Okay, we're reading it differently. But what do they do? What's the action that shows this? It's not just an internal little... Yeah, they call their friends and they actually throw parties about this. Yeah, we would rejoice. We'd let people know. We need to, to overflow. Let me simply say this. Joy overflows. Real joy overflows. You can't keep it to yourself, can you? And did you notice the other thing that joy does? Joy creates what? Community. People who are truly rejoicing. Look, look at verse 10. There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. God is rejoicing. God's heart is rejoicing over repentant sinners. And again, it overflows, right? Because it overflows here to the angels. The angels are rejoicing too. All God's friends are rejoicing. But if the Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling, do they really represent who God is? What are the Pharisees saying by their attitude? I mean, essentially, aren't they saying, hey, you know what? Society's going downhill. It's going downhill fast. And it's because of people like them. It's because of these tax collectors. It's because of these sinners that society is, is going downhill and God is angry about it. And so am I. And if you're not angry with us, you're on the wrong side. We stand for God unlike you, Jesus. Isn't that what the Pharisees are saying here? We stand for God unlike you, Jesus. So Jesus shows these three parables. We read two of them. We'll read the other one in just a minute. I want to also make sure that we're thinking the same way here. Is, is, is the author here trying to tell us everything that God thinks about sin? Is the author trying to say, boy, this is everything that God thinks about sin. It's this one thing that he rejoices about sinners coming to know him. No, it's not. It's not everything, and we have to be careful. He doesn't take time to explain why, how God can welcome repentant sinners. If all we knew about God was Luke 15, you might just think that God kind of just lowers His standards. He doesn't really care about how we act. It's not important to understand these things, that God's just this welcoming guy who says, hey, whatever. But that's not who God is. We might think that God looks at His holiness and His justice and His purity and that He says, you know what, that part of me just doesn't matter. If we drew that inference from Luke chapter 15, we would be wrong about God. Other parts of the Bible tell us more. Why does an all-holy God rejoice to gather sinners in His arms? Because at the cross of Jesus, His holy wrath was unleashed on a substitute. At the cross of Jesus, the holy wrath of God was satisfied. God was vindicated. God upheld His standards. The cross is why God is not holding back or standing back away from sinners. 
with the undeserving, what Luke 15 shows is not why God receives us, but how God receives us. God receives us gladly. God is not a grumbler. God feels good about providing a safe place for us to come home and to get a fresh start. So that's his purpose in this. So look at God here in in, uh, Luke chapter 15. Let me just read this other part. It's a part that I think we know really well, beginning at verse 11. And he said, as this third parable, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country, and he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, notice that when he came to himself, he said, man, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose. He came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fat calf and kill it. And let us eat and let us celebrate. For this, my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of his servants and he asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother's come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in and his father came out and he entreated him but he answered his father and he said look these many years i have served you and i never disobeyed your command yet you never gave me a young goat that i might celebrate with my friends but when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. Jesus tells these three parables. And what he's going to show us is that he is rejoicing. Okay? He is rejoicing over one repentant sinner. He rejoices almost to the point of overreaction. Because like we said, 
If a shepherd loses one sheep, what's the thought process here? I got 100, I'm down one. How do I get another sheep? How do you get another sheep? Well, you go out and you find the other sheep, or you kind of keep the sheep around together, right? Let them hang out for a little while, because what's going to happen? Put a little Barry White. You got a little baby sheep coming along. All of a sudden, you got more than 100 sheep. I mean, what, what big loss is this? But that's not what the shepherd does. You see his heart. This woman who goes searching for the coin. I know we've heard some different stories that kind of show this, that this was her dowry. This is the only way she's going to get married. The text doesn't say anything about that. It could be true, but it could also be that this is just one of ten coins, and it's more likely to be that. I think the way that Jesus is emphasizing this in the parable, the idea is that she had ten coins, she lost one of them, so what does she do? She starts to search, turn over the house. Don't you think the time, the effort, even lighting that lamp, isn't it possible that she used up as much money as she found just burning the lamp at night? I mean, what stands out to us here is in order to find this one coin, Why didn't she just cut her losses? And then what does she do? She calls all of her friends over for a party. Have you thrown a party lately? Do they do those for free now? I don't think they do. At least the ones that we've had people over for lately have not been free. They've been pretty costly, right? All of these people have lost something that's not extremely valuable but they have rejoiced over it to the point where they have to bring other people into this. And they're spending money. They're investing. It's costing them in order to rejoice with other people. It almost becomes like an overreaction in some sense. If you read this passage right, you might sit there and go, really? You throw that big a party over that little a deal? By our standards, we might think that. But you know what? Jesus is giving us a little glimpse into the Father's heart. And you know what? The Father is the one who really understands what deserves God-sized joy. So it is good for us to see God overreacting, isn't it? If this is an overreaction, doesn't that encourage your heart? If this is an overreaction and the idea is to understand God's heart about you, Shouldn't that pour a little courage into our life today? God is not sitting back, again, waiting for you like maybe a school teacher saying, the assignment's supposed to be in, you haven't gotten it done yet. This is more like when a little kid takes his first step. And how do we react? We act like no one has ever walked before. Right? Right? When, when our little one, you know, he throws his first baseball, we're like, whoa! You know, this is God-sized joy. And what we need to see is God's heart about people. And this isn't just joy that, that, that God says, well, I'm happy because someday all this junk will be done and finally I'll set the world to right, then I'll be happy. This is joy now. God is talking about one sinner repenting now. Just one sinner One sinner in Montreal. One sinner in Port-au-Prince. One sinner right here in Wyndham. 
And right now, at this moment, when that sinner comes to trust Jesus, God is feeling such joy that it spills over into the angels in heaven. I mean, look at verses 22 and 23 like we just read. Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us celebrate. Let us eat and celebrate. That's, that's uneconomical. That just doesn't fit. Especially for this older brother, right? This boy's already wasted half of the family estate or a third of the family's estate. And that money's not coming back, is it? You don't get refunds from prostitutes and from drinking. That money's not coming back. But the Father covers the wild waste of sin with even more lavish forgiveness and happiness. The Bible says where sin increases, grace abounded all the more. God is no moderate rejoicer. Even one repentant sinner sets him off. The only one holding back here is who? The older brother. So let's ask this question, what are we like? We ask what God's really like, but the question is going to be, what are we really like? Where do you see yourself in this picture? Do you see why the older brother is in this third parable? There's no one like him in the stories of the lost sheep and the lost coin. If Luke 15 ended with verse 24 before the older brother showed up, we might not have felt like every, anything was missing. But in verses 25 through 32, the final paragraph, Jesus includes an older brother, and the question is why? He's going back to the Pharisees and the tax collectors in verse 2. Now the tax collectors, I mean the Pharisees and scribes, the tax collectors and the sinners are in verse 1. Those are who? The younger brother, right? But the Pharisees and the scribes, in verse 2, those are your older brothers. And God wants to rejoice over them too. God wants to rejoice over them too. He wants to lead them to repentance. Notice that in the story, the bad sinners are already repenting. But what Jesus is doing here is he is encouraging the good sinners to repent. He's calling them to repent. So that's why I wonder, where do you see yourself in this picture? Let me just say this. The most important thing that I think Jesus wants us to know is that God doesn't love the ideal you that you ought to be or that you even want to be. God loves the real, the raw, the unrehabilitated you that you are behind your mask. Do you believe that? God is empowering us to face who we really are, as difficult as that may be. Here we see Jesus, who's God, the friend and the comforter of sinners. We see ourselves in these two brothers and we know that God receives us because of the cross and even rejoices over us. And all we want to do now is share that with other people. And that's why Wyndham Baptist Church exists. Because our world doesn't believe that. 
and probably even more dangerous, we don't believe it. Honestly, our problem today isn't really just the exploits of these younger brothers. Now, those sins are bad. But verse 17 tells us that the younger brother, he got it. All of a sudden, he woke up. He got it. The text literally says he came into himself. He finally got in touch with who he really was and what he'd really done. And it is so hard for us to get there. But the hunger, the loneliness became so intense that the younger brother finally gave up and went home to his father. Let me say this. What destroys gospel and safety and time, it's not primarily that kind of stupidity. Because that kind of stupidity is so painful. That kind of sin is so sharp, it gets to us. It gets our attention. What destroys gospel and safety and time really is the angry aloofness of the older brother. His superiority doesn't feel evil to him, does it? It feels God-honoring. It feels good. He even feels sinned against by the younger brother. But let me say this. Both of these brothers are deep inside of every one of us. How can we not comfort one another in the love of God? But between these two patterns of sin, the worst one in the sight of God is this older brother who's putting his foot down. He's boycotting the party. The worst sin of all is our pride. But the Father is saying that music, the dancing that you hear, it's for you too. Come on in. Be happy. You'll be comforted. I promise. So why didn't the older brother run inside the party? Why didn't the older brother run into the party? Why didn't he go in and celebrate? Well, let me offer this for an answer. He's been with his father, but he doesn't get his father. Verse 29, right? He says this to him. And this is such a uh, kind of an angry warning. When he says, look, it's like sticking a finger out in his father's face. This is very disrespectful for him to say it this way. But what he says is, look, these many years I have served you. These many years I've been a slave to you. And I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. He sees his father as the master and he sees himself as a slave. He was obedient, yes. He did the right things, but he hated obeying. There's a kind of obedience that's just wrong, right? There's a kind of obedience that's wrong. God isn't in it. There's no freshness to it. There's no vitality. There's no happiness about it. There's so many good, obedient people who are neither comforted or comforting. Just like this older brother. When his younger brother ran off, 
He didn't go out to say, man, you've got to understand, buddy, you're missing it. You're missing the love of the Father. He stayed home, and he did his job. Why? Because he wanted to get paid. And his good record meant that his father, his father owed him. He didn't understand that real Christianity is something that happens to us, not something that we do for ourselves. In real Christianity, everything comes from God and nothing from us. This is why this older brother feels betrayed, because his kid brother is up there in the house with nothing to show for his life, and he's being celebrated. The older brother must have been thinking to himself, okay, now I totally understand now, finally, about this really, truly screwed up, dysfunctional family that I live in. You obey, and nothing good happens. If you go out and disobey, Dad throws you a party. What was I thinking? That's what's going through his brain. What was the father's answer, though, to that bitterness? It wasn't that there will be a payday someday. The father's answer was, son, you are always with me. It's possible to be near God and not feel loved by God. And if our hearts, especially if our hearts are hard. Self-righteous drudgery kills our feeling of God's love for us. Sin does too. But sin really includes enough pain that sometimes we wake up from it, right? But self-righteousness kind of deadens us so that we feel no emotional difference between staying home with the Father or running off with prostitutes. What does God have to say to hard-hearted people who resent Him with every act of disobedience? Verse 31, he says, all that is mine is yours. When we feel nothing towards God and His grace, His remedy is more grace. His grace neutralizes the buying power of my obedience. His grace neutralizes the buying power of my obedience. So he loves both stupid prodigal sons as well as sourpuss, dutiful, older sons. And he loves both of them equally. The Father's saying to every one of us, all I want to do is rejoice over you and comfort you. Come home. Come home to me. We saw it in the passage, didn't we? What did the Father do when he saw his, his son, when he saw this younger son coming home? Yeah, he ran to him. Incredibly embarrassing for a man of his position and stature during that day. He runs to us. He doesn't shame him, does he? I've said it before, but when was the last time someone gave you a good shaming lecture and it just changed your life? When was the last time that somebody just nagged you and that was it, man? Wow, that opened everything up for you. Don't you love it? Doesn't that help you? That's not what the Father gives to him. God knows what we want to say, right? 
When the younger brother came back, he had a speech. And does the father let him finish his speech? No, he knows what we want to say. But he's in a hurry to get the party started. He puts us in the best robe, the righteous covering of Jesus. He spares no expense to unleash joy over us when we repent. And when we're too angry to even start repenting, he comes out of the party and he pleads with us gently, reasonably, even humbly. That's who God really is. Isn't that what your neighbors need to understand? Isn't that what your family members need to understand? Interesting, because Jesus didn't finish the story, did he? We, we don't know how the older brother responded. We don't need to know. We don't need to worry about him. Because the real matter is not how did he respond. The question is, how will you respond? How will I respond? How should we respond to a father like this? So let me just draw this into three kind of key things. This is where we're going to ask that question. How should we respond? How should we respond? Bottom line, if you have just blown up your relationship with God through blatant defiance, you need to repent of your sin. If, if you're that younger brother, we need to understand that God owes you nothing. But he wants you to know that you can come home without a beating. You can come home and be rejoiced over. Jesus died to open the way back for rebels like you. I mean, what, what really is so great about your life right now? What would be so bad about being loved? The Father is waiting for you. Now, if you're like the older brother and you've done your best and you are here together today and you actually kind of resent God for how much He owes you because of how little He's given you, then you need to repent of your goodness. It's keeping you from God. He loves sinners through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's how He loves you. If you'll throw away your good record, God will give you the record of Christ. But He's waiting on you too. Third, as for us all, as we grow in ministry this year, the reason we're talking about Jesus' community and mission is because we need to continue to give this church back to the Lord. We, we need to give it back for His joyous purpose to be fulfilled. We need to not just look at it and say, this is what makes me comfortable here. This is what I like. This is about me. Instead, we need to grab the Father's heart, don't we? 
We need to grab the Father's heart. Real community. It's not just this wishful idea. It's something that God says you and I need. Lots and lots of gospel. It's something that God says you and I need. Why? Because we are such a broken and messed up people. Sinful people. Even places we are not even emotionally ready or capable of handling to hand over to Him to admit. But that's what the church is supposed to be. We're going to have to let the Bible be utterly realistic about human sin and human sorrow. We're going to have to prepare ourselves to just understand that this church will continue to be messy. Especially as we walk in the light together, right? But what's the good news? The Savior of the world is here. He can handle anything. And His joy will spread over all of us. Maybe we'll kind of take a cue from Martin Luther who said this, May God preserve me from a Christian church where everyone is a saint. I want to be in the church of the faint-hearted, the feeble, and the ailing, who feel and recognize the wretchedness of their sins, who cry to God for comfort and help, and who believe in the forgiveness of sins. Amen? Gospel and safety and time, that's what God is inviting all of us into. And honestly, it's a happy place. It's a happy place. Our calling is to share that with more and more people. Let's pray. Father, I do want to ask that you would help us, especially if there's, there's some who are here today and what they're struggling with is self-righteousness. Lord, I want to pray that you would help them because, again, that pain becomes kind of dull. We don't realize that we really have a need. We struggle with that because we think that we've got it together and that if everyone else would just do what we did, then the world would be better. But it won't. The world gets better through you, Jesus. But God, it takes you to break through that callousness. It takes you to break through to that in our souls. Lord, what I'm I'm praying today is for some who are more like younger brothers that they really would turn their life around and come to you and find the life they've been looking for. But for older brother types, I'm praying that they would also be given by you the freedom to turn to you and experience the reality that you love them. Not because they do things so well. Lord, I pray that you would, you would break through the callousness for some who can sing and say words and, and, and act in right ways. I pray that you would give them sparks of life where their hearts would be, as it were, unplugged. God, they would feel your love for them again. That, that your love would begin to flow through. Lord, we don't want to be people who just talk about truth. We want to be people that are transformed by truth. 
So we're asking you to work here among us today. We pray it in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Today's a great day because we have the opportunity